This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, we are wrapping up this series called Running With Giants, and I've been loving it um, because it's really done two things for us. One is it's helped us to understand God's word. I really do have a heart to kind of teach you the Bible, and we've covered a lot of ground in this series, mainly in the Old Testament, um, during the last, man, five weeks. This is week number six in this series. And secondly, it's been encouraging. And I pray that through this, you've been encouraged to, to live and trust God like you never have before. I pray you've been encouraged to, to, to live generously. I pray that, that we know better now how to handle those defining moment decisions that we come across in our lives. I pray that you've been stirred to take action and to step up like never before. That's really been the heart of this series. In fact, our theme verse in this series is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. And as you know, the last few weeks, I've been removing some words so we could fill in the blanks as we go. I got one more blank to fill in for you, all right? So I don't know who can do this, who can play along. But Hebrews 12, one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders good and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How did you guys do? Let's throw it up here. Pretty good, pretty good. This verse is written after uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Get that, Hebrews 11 came before Hebrews 12. Go figure, you learned something today. Where it talks about these giants of the faith that went before us. And now they're watching you as you run your race. And you should know something that time and time again uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible equates our lives to this race. To like, we're trying to, to run this race. In fact, Paul tells us that we need to run it in such a way as to win it. Like we, we need to run, like not aimlessly, but we need to train hard and run the race that's marked out for us today this is our focus, that you have a race that's marked out for you, that you have a path that's marked out for you, that God is calling you to run. And from the, the vantage point now of the people in heaven as they're watching us run this race, we've been talking about these giants. What if these giants could come out of the stands, come out of, of watching you run your race and, and take a lap with you? Like what would they say? What would be the advice that they would give you based on their past experiences, based on their failures, based on their, their victories? What could we learn from these great giants of the faith that went before us? Now, we've completely ripped off this idea from Dr. John Maxwell, who wrote a book called Running With the Giants. 
And so we've been learning a lot from these giants. Today, here's the giant that we're gonna pull out of the stands as we wrap up. It's the giant of Noah. Jot that down. Noah, what would Noah tell us if he came off the stands and took a lap with you in your life race? Now, that's the question we've been asking. What would they say to us? However, I kind of want to flip it real quick this morning because I have a couple things that I would like to say to Noah. First of all, why wouldn't you, Noah, just go ahead and swat those two mosquitoes to begin with? You know what I'm saying? That would have saved us all a whole heck of a lot of trouble, right? Malaria, the Zika, all kinds of stuff, Noah. And secondly, Noah, cats? Like, really? Like, honestly, I would, if it was me on that boat, I would have had a National Geographic moment going on and fed those suckers to some rhinos or something. All right, I'm, calm down. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love cats. People always say, I love my cats. Listen, I love, I love cats too. However, you have to cook them just right because... <laughs> If you don't, they could be a little gamey. You know what I'm saying? A little, little kind of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What would Noah say to us? Uh, I thought about this, uh, and this was kind of too cliche, but Noah might say things like, you know, don't miss the boat. Uh, make sure that you, you got things in order. Don't miss the boat. He might, he might say th- things like, you, you better be sure to plan ahead. It took him 120 years to build this ark. And what an ark is, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, all all an ark is is a box, right? So that's all it was, was this giant, massive, rudderless kind of of box. It took him 120 years to build. He, He might say that to us, plan ahead. He might tell us, hey, make sure you put the woodpeckers above the water line in the boat. You know what I'm saying? That's some pretty good nautical advice. Um, however, I think he has something else for us. So let's get to know Noah a little bit. And we're gonna talk about some biblical history. One of the things I like to do is to help us understand the Bible as it relates to history and as it relates to a timeline. Because the Bible can be a little confusing. Most people believe that it's laid out chronologically as events occurred, but it's not. The Bible really is grouped together by the kind of books that they are. So for example, you could be reading something in the Old Testament in like 1 Kings and then read about it later on and you're thinking, man, what happened here? You know, I thought we already talked about this guy. You know, I thought this, this, this event already happened. For example, there's a whole section in the Old Testament called the, the poetry section, which are the, the Psalms. And so you might read something about, about David and King David wrote a lot of these Psalms but these are found long after the historical accounts of his life. So super quick, here's a little bit of biblical history. Biblical history runs about 6,000 years, all right? So um, 4,000 years before Christ, before uh, Jesus was born onto this earth from the Virgin Mary, from from Adam to Jesus, that's about 4,000 years. From Jesus on till today, roughly 2,000 years. So we're talking about a a biblical history, a span of 6,000 years. Where does Noah fall into that timeline? Noah is 10 generations after Adam, which is roughly about 1,000 years after Adam. So here we're talking about uh, the year 3,000 or so B.C., And the earth during this time in history had a 
uniqueness about it that a lot of um, scholars believe, I personally believe, that the earth is going to be restored back to this original kind of condition uh, when we're actually in heaven. Of course, there's, there's a lot of confusion about heaven as well. A lot of people think, you know, heaven is a place where you go, sit on some clouds, play some harps, sing some songs, all that kind of stuff. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So we're gonna come back and be a part of an earth that's restored back to its original condition, original kind of pre-sin condition, which is why we see in the Bible, if you've ever thought, man, how are people living so long? Well, when the earth is in its, in its perfect condition, people just live longer. There was no sickness, there was no disease, so people would be like hundreds and hundreds of years old. Noah lived to be 950 years old. In fact, he didn't even start having kids until he was 500 years old, which I'm thinking, that's a good idea, right? Like, get all the wisdom that you can. You need 500 years of wisdom to raise those things, just saying. But when he finally had kids, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. None of those are great baby names, all right, for anybody that's just saying. Um, here's my son, Ham. I don't know how that's gonna go. But he was 500 when he started having kids, lives to be 150. He didn't even start building the ark until he was 600 years old. And again, people will hear that stuff. I have friends that hear that and go, man, that sounds like a bunch of fairy tales. Colby, that sounds like a bunch of nonsense. I don't even know how that could ever be, that could ever happen, doesn't sound possible. And I would just say it's very possible. In a world that that's kind of, doesn't have sickness, doesn't have, have disease, people just lived a lot longer. In fact, uh, Noah's grandfather, his name was Methuselah. Maybe you've had that, used that saying before. You're as old as Methuselah, who was the oldest man uh, to ever live, recorded 969 years old. And the earth in this, this condition uh, didn't need rain. It had never even rained. The earth was fed through these underground kinds of springs. Uh, it, it, would, it would kind of have this dew in the morning that would help things to grow as well. And I personally believe it's all gonna go back to that state when the new heaven and the new earth come. There's not gonna be any rainy days. There's gonna be no Mondays in heaven. Heaven is gonna be a great, great place. Krispy Kreme donut light on 24-7 <laughs> in heaven. You know what I'm saying? So this is the world that Noah was living in. However, sin entered into the world through Adam and man increasingly became more and more wicked. And wickedness and evil was started showing up in the world in some really messed up ways. By the way, after the flood, um, God destroys the, the world in a flood. That was uh, his, the way that he judged the earth. After the flood, we see um, people not living to be 900 years old anymore. We start seeing this diminishing of lifespans to like a thousand years after it, it pretty much comes down to where it is today. Moses lived to be 120 years, years old. And again, people will say, Colby, do you really believe in this? Do you really believe you know, in a, in a six-day creation? Do you really believe in a garden of Eden? And I do. I have a literal belief of the Bible, and I'm gonna teach it to you that way, regardless of what 
I can wrap my mind around, regardless of what you can wrap your mind around. I just think God is a lot bigger and a lot wiser than we are. And if I kind of relegate God to only the things that my brain understands and say, hey, if I can't understand it, it must not be true. Well, then I'm reducing God down to the size of my brain. And that's never a good idea. Okay, like just don't do that. So I'm going to teach it to you as a literal kind of belief of the Bible. Thanks for Two people clapping, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and again, I know people are kind of blown away by, man, all these different ages and 900 years and all that kind of stuff. I heard a story uh, where a little girl gave her teacher a paper on Jonah. And, and her teacher gave it back to her and just was arguing with her and said, hey, you know this could never happen, right? Like, you know that, that a fish can't swallow a man. Fish actually have very small throats and fish you know there's no way someone could live in a fish for three days and the little girl argued with her and she said finally she said hey when I get to heaven I'm gonna ask Jonah myself and the teacher said well what if he doesn't you know what if Jonah's not in heaven and the little girl said well then you can ask him so (laughs) back to running with giants Noah (laughs) he's on the track with us and he's encouraging us What would Noah say to you? Here's what I want you to write down. I think uh, this is where we're gonna, I think this is for some people in this room today. Noah would tell us that you are made to be a difference maker. And I say it's for some people in this room today it's because it's for anyone who's ever thought my life doesn't count. For anyone who's ever had, had the thought that, hey, well, maybe God wants to use that person or maybe God wants to use that person. They seem, they seem gifted. They seem called. They seem qualified. You've ever thought that? Or maybe you've you had this thought, well, I felt like God wanted to use me at one point in my life, but, but you don't know I've gone so far from that, Colby. Or I, I've sinned so much. I've messed up too much. Or I'm too old for God to make a difference. He used me to make a difference. I think Noah would come on the track and say, you were created to be a difference maker. He would say, don't stop running your race. Know that God has marked out this race for you and you were made to make a difference. Let's study this together. Genesis chapter six, starting in verse five says this, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. Now I wanna stop right here. Two times in the New Testament, Uh, The story of Noah is quoted once by Jesus and once by Peter. And in both times it it was quoted, the context was talking about the end times, talking about the, the day of judgment that was to come. In fact, Jesus said it this way when he quoted uh, Noah. He said, as it was in the days of Noah. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? This is what it was like. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness had become on the earth. And can I say something about that? We're there now. We're there now. I believe um, people don't like to hear this. This is not a very popular kind of message. Most people want to say, hey, Colby, can't we just praise God? Can't we just all be happy and, and celebrate you know, God's goodness all the time? Uh, you know, forgetting the fact that today millions of girls will be human trafficked. Forgetting about the fact that, that racism and terrorism and forgetting about the moral decline of our, our nation. I know you want me to bring a word that's just encouraging, but I think this is happening. 
that God would look down on the earth and see how great man's wickedness is becoming. And again, it's easy for us to kind of huddle in here and, and shut that out. I know it is for me, if I'm just being honest, and to only think about the things that, that, that matter to me, kind of, or the things that impact me on a daily basis. But we should know something that from God's vantage point, like this is what he sees. He sees how great man's wickedness is becoming on the earth. Keep reading, how great man's wickedness is on the earth have become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil all the time. Think about that as a picture for where we are. Verse six says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man. Come on, parents, you ever felt that way about your kids? Man, I'm, I don't even know why I made you. Just, I know, I know it was child dedication day today, and so I probably really shouldn't say that because um, most people will be like, well, I would never say that about my, my children. Just wait until they're 12. Wait until they're 13 years old, just saying. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. I think that in many ways, God feels the same way today. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals. We see that, we're like, that's harsh. That's, that's kind of rough. And creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And again, we see that and think, man, that's, that's tough. And people, they don't really like to hear this message. People like to hear about the God that's for them, the God that, that, that loves them. But whether you like it or not, the New Testament talks a lot about a day of judgment that's coming, a day of judgment that's, that's going to, to happen. And I know you'd, you'd rather me uh, draw you into the, the faith, t- talking about how much God loves you and he's for you and he wants to bless you. And all of that is 100% true. However, we can't forget that there is another motivation to get our lives right before God. And that is the fact that a day of judgment is coming where you and I will be held accountable for the way that we lived our lives. We can't forget that. And so it goes on to say, verse eight, but now Noah found favor. This is what I wanna zero in on. I want this verse to motivate us, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I think Noah would come along our race and he would say, you know what, this is probably the most important message that I can share with you. That you can find favor with God, that you were made to be a difference maker. And he would say, why? Because he was. Because one man made a a tremendous impact. One person can make a difference. In fact, I think this is one of the most important messages you will ever hear. Because here's what I'm afraid will happen. That we will just go on living our lives as even church people. And maybe you're not doing a bunch of bad stuff. Maybe you're not adding to the wickedness of of the world, but you're certainly not doing anything about it either. Are we certainly doing the most that we can about all that's going on? Because if you're like me, sometimes I think, if I can just, just get through my day, if I can just uh, pay my bills, if I can just run my race, you know, and, and, and worry about what's going on around me, you know, if I can make this really all about me, and if that's not you today, um, then that's fine. If, if you're worried all about other people, I'm just gonna preach to myself today because I have a tendency to be selfish. I could be prideful, right? And if I'm not careful, I can make my life about Colby. 
And I wanna show you that your life is not about you. That Noah would come out of the track and he'd say, hey, God wants to use you to make a difference. He wants to, to work in your life so that he can work through your life and that you can make a difference. And I wanna show you three areas that you can make a difference. Jot these down. Three ways that you are called to be a difference maker. First of all, for your family. For your family. And I'm gonna define that, that word family in just a moment because it might not be uh, exactly the word that we that we think of. Let's get back to the story, Genesis chapter seven, now verse one, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you. Who is you? You is Noah. Noah is the one that God found favor with. Noah, you and your whole family because I have found you righteous. I don't want you to miss this. God found favor with Noah and the favor that he found with Noah was, was impacting his entire family. It doesn't say I found favor with your family. I found favor with you, but your favor is going to impact your family. Here's what I need you to write down. Difference makers make a difference in the people around them. They make a difference in, in other people's lives. Now, whether you like it or not, you're doing that right now. Whether you realize it or not, you are having either a positive or a negative impact on the people around you, on, on your, your family. And it's either, uh, and my job as a pastor really is to, to helpfully stir you in such a way to live your life to where you'd have a positive impact on those around you. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You're gonna be saved and it says you and your household. Now that's kind of a confusing verse. Because what does that mean, Colby? If I get saved, then, then it impacts my family, then my family is actually saved. If I, if I pray that prayer and say yes to Jesus, then, then my, my family's eternal uh, salvation is, is good to go. That's not actually what it means. In fact, this is one of those places you have to dig into the original language because the word household doesn't mean family members. The word household is the word oikos, if you like to jot things down, O I K. Uh, OS, oikos, and it literally means your sphere of influence. So it would actually read this way, believe in Jesus, say yes to Jesus, believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, that that moment uh, you trust in him for salvation, you're saved. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved and your salvation should impact your sphere of influence. Your salvation should impact those around you. In other words, your salvation isn't just for you. Your salvation is for others. Yes, uh, you are saved from your sin, but you are also saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to impact and influence others. I'll talk to people about their faith and their salvation, say, tell me your story, and sometimes I'll get the response, well, it's very personal. My faith is a personal thing. It's a private issue. Well, not according to God, it's not. Jesus said to let your light shine before men so that people will see your light, they'll see your good deeds, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, they will see the way you live your life and want what you have. They'll see the way that you live. So I'm just telling you, hey, you need to make a positive impact on the world around you. Be salt, add value to your culture, add value to your sphere of 
influence. I'm just challenging you as a church to walk out of these doors today and say, it's not all about me. It's not just about me. I'm gonna let my life impact the people around me. Make a difference first in your family. Now, sociologists, they would define your sphere of influence um, as about 12 to 15 people. And the way they get to that number is uh, if you take the amount of time you spend with someone during the week, and if you spend at least 60 minutes with someone during the week, then that person is in your sphere of influence. 60 intentional uh, kinds of minutes, just 60 minutes, that's it. Uh, which, which by the way, it doesn't matter who you are, most people have between 12 and 15 people. So you could be Donald Trump, or you could be, you know, Colby Atkins, and there's, there's either 12 to 15 people that are in that sphere of influence. And what's interesting is, just for Father's Day, is that the average dad spends seven minutes a day with their kids. Seven times seven is what? Which means that most dads, their own kids are not in their sphere of influence. Yikes, just a thought. I think we need to do better. I think we need to do better. Let's look at the next one. You're called to be a difference maker for your generation. Not just for your family, but for your generation as well. In fact, I would say we have a responsibility to our generation. When I say things like you're created on purpose for a purpose, let me show you Acts 17, 26 says, from one man, he meaning uh, created all things, all the nations throughout the whole earth. He, God, decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determined their boundaries. He decided when you would be here and he determined where you would be, which means that God knew exactly when to put you on this earth and where to put you on this earth so that you could make the greatest impact possible, so you could make a difference for your generation. Let me talk to the young people that just graduated. In fact, congratulations to all the, the graduates, high school graduates, college graduates, not preschool graduates. Listen, this whole graduation ceremony thing is getting out of control, all right? It used to be you celebrate graduating from high school or college. We were invited last week to attend a pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-kindergarten graduation. Just saying, that's not really true, but it's getting out of control, right? We're celebrating graduation from kindergarten, from first grade. It just is getting crazy. But let me say this. One of the tactics of the enemy is to make you think that this isn't what your life is about. To make you believe that your life is not about uh, impacting your generation. Satan would like you to believe that your life is just about you, that it's all about enjoying your own life, all about enhancing your own life. And let me say um, that, that God wants you to enjoy life, but more than you enjoying life, he wants to use your life to make a difference. And if we're not careful, this can even happen in, in the church. We can start saying things like, Colby, Colby, I just want this to be all about me. Colby, give me, give me a word that I've never heard before. Colby, preach to me. Give me something that, that's, uh, that'll blow my mind, something you know, with, with deep wisdom. Colby, let's go deep. Come on, let's go real deep. I've heard that so many times. You know what that means? Go deep, that means confuse me so I don't have to really change anything in my life. That's what go deep means. A lot of times when people say, I want some deep, deep teaching, here's, here's deep. You want deep? 
love your neighbor as yourself. Like sometimes it's those simple things, right? Those simple steps that we need to take. That's deep. You want deep? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Stop sleeping around. That's deep. You want deep? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's deep. Oh, it got real deep and real quiet after that one, didn't it? That's deep. You want deep? Forgive your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Take care of the orphans and the widows. Come on, that's what deep is. Don't ever uh, try to substitute information for participation. God wants you to participate even in those small acts of obedience that he's called you to. That's deep. And listen, I'm all for, hey, let's, let's from time to time dig down and get those deep spiritual truths of God. But that's really not even why we're here. That's not what the church is for. Did you know that? The church should be like a, a halftime locker room where we come in during halftime, we look at your defense, we look at your offense, we look at the playbook and the plays that you're running for your life, and then I send you back out on the field to run the race that God has marked out for you and to be equipped to do it. Like that's why we're here to get pumped up, ready to go for the race that God has called us to run, the one that he's marked out for us. Here's the last one, and then we're going to get to some final encouragements from Noah. You can be a difference maker for God. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, right now, here's what God's doing. He's looking, that he's scanning the world, that his eyes are going to and fro, wanting to show himself strong to someone whose heart is loyal to him which means he's looking for someone. He's looking for, for someone who would say, hey coach, here I am. Here God, here I am, put me in the game. And once you do, once you're loyal to him, he will equip you, he will strengthen you, he will empower you for the race that he's marked out for you, that path that he's called you to. You can be a difference maker for God. And it's almost, as I read this verse, it's almost as if to say, and he's having a hard time doing it. Like I say, he's looking all over the place. His eyes are going to and fro. He's scanning the world. And it's almost as if I can't find someone. Would you commit today, even if the, no one else on your road decides to do anything with this message, would you be the one to step up and say, I wanna be a difference maker for God. I wanna be a difference maker for my family. I wanna be a difference maker in this generation. And then I think, uh, Noah would pat you on the back and he'd start to run up into the stands and leave you with some parting encouragement. He'd say, man, your generation, the world that you're living in looks an awful lot like the world I was living in. Like wickedness is increasing. Wickedness is, is, is growing and God wants to use you to make a difference. And then I think he would say though, difference makers live differently. In order to be a difference maker, you have to live differently. You have to look differently. In other words, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Don't be afraid to go against the current of culture. Colby, why do you have to say that? Here's why, because if God calls you to do something, oftentimes it's gonna be so ridiculous that you're gonna feel foolish. I think about that moment where God taps Noah on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to build a boat. And Noah's like, what? <laughs> build a boat? Like, that's, that's crazy. It's never even rained before. It doesn't even know what, what that, that looks like. 
and with all the people around it, they must have just made fun of him over and over and over again. Man, what are you doing? This, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. Hey, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? And I think that in that moment, when God tapped him on the shoulder, it was probably pretty easy for Noah to, to be um, strengthened, to feel like, all right, well, God told me to do this, and I'm gonna do this. However, it took 120 years for him to build it. So what about at year 40 and still no rain? What about at year 80 and still no rain? Can you imagine? Maybe the doubt starts to, to creep in. Maybe he's like, I don't know, maybe these other guys are right, that this is crazy. This idea is, is nuts, 120 years. And I think the reason why a lot of us don't make the impact that God wants us to make to, to live differently is truthfully because we're not. Because we're kind of looking like everyone else. And maybe you had that moment with God where he spoke to your heart and you're like, here I am, God. Use me, take me, send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then it's not 80 years that goes by, but maybe it's five years. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's 20 years. And it starts to slide off and we start to look the same as everyone else. And Noah would say, difference makers live differently. And I wanna encourage you not to be afraid to live differently. Like especially those young people, especially even those moving on to college when your friends are, are, you know, hey, this is what we do. Well, don't be afraid to stand out in that crowd. Well, we always go out and drink. It's Thirsty Thursday. You know, that's what we gotta do. Well, don't be afraid to stand out. Or, or maybe it's even going to a movie or in high school and it's, it's like, hey, you know, at that awkward moment where you're like, I really know I shouldn't be watching this right now. I don't know if I should get up or if I should go, if I should get up or just kind of stay seated. I would just say, get up and go. Like, don't be afraid to stand up. Don't be afraid to go against the, the, the crowd. Um, my son, Wade, I was so proud of him, never been more proud of him as a father. He was at a sleepover, even though he doesn't actually get to sleep over. Uh, we've made that decision like, hey, we spend so much time, you know, taking care of our young ones, those that are most dear to us and most precious to us, protecting them, praying for them, leading them in a godly example to have them just go off and just do whatever you want and us not know all night long. That's never a good idea, just saying. Like nothing ever good came out of me staying the night at someone's house, just throwing that out there. But if you do it, that's fine. But he went to his friend's house and kind of knowing um, how Wade is, is, is raised and, and about the church and uh, they were choosing between movies. One was Jumanji and the other one was Peter Rabbit. And it was kind of like they wanted to watch Jumanji and Wade stood up and said, I can't do it. And again, it might not seem like a big deal but in that moment, and him saying, taking that stand, and honestly, we probably would have let him watch it if he would have called us and just said, hey, but he said, no. I know this is not something that I'm allowed to watch and something that I, I should watch. And I, so I wanna encourage the young people, man, don't be afraid to live, live differently, to, to look differently, to stand up to culture. I'm asking you to be a difference maker, and you can't be different unless you are different. This is the way the Bible says it, Proverbs 29, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Do it man's way, 
Uh, I'm, I'm worried about what, what man thinks or follow the crowd. If I care more about that, you'll, you'll find yourself trapped. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And here's the last thing I think Noah would say. Faith is revealed in our obedience. Chances are what God's gonna ask you to do might scare you. Chances are what God's gonna ask you to do might seem unreasonable. In fact, I need you to orient, uh, to orient you to, to a little bit of the nature of God. Oftentimes he asks you to do things that you never thought you could do. Maybe you've never seen done before. That's, that's just kind of how God operates. Hey, throw this staff down, it's gonna turn into a snake. Like what? Like tap that rock and water's gonna come from it. Like he'll ask you to do some things that have never been done, but to be different. To be a difference maker, you have to be less concerned about what man thinks and more concerned about what your heavenly father thinks. And it's your obedience to that that shows your faith in God. Let's, let's look at, at, at where Hebrews 11 talks about this great giant of the faith. As I close, he says, by faith, Noah, when warned about this, look at this, these things not yet seen in holy fear built. In faith, when God said, no, I want you to build an ark, in faith, he built. In faith, he moved. In faith, he took that, that step. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes only by faith. Faith is taking that leap. And your faith is revealed in your obedience. Now, I kind of started our, our time together by saying, I think God has been speaking something to your life. I think God has maybe been whispering some things that he'd like you to do, some steps that he'd like you to take, maybe some areas of your life where you can be a difference maker in your family or for your generation or for God, but some of you have pushed that off. Maybe it's been years. So here's what I want us to do with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Just listen to these, these whispers. These things that God has been speaking to your heart over and over again, it could, be, it could be something like this, hey, forgive them. You know who that is. It could be, don't give up. It could be, hey, you need to, you need to stop what you're doing right now. And you need to turn around. It could be, hey, go back home. It could be make things right. Maybe for someone in this room, it's just pick up the phone and make the call. You know who you are. If you're going to be a difference maker, you have to live differently. And it's revealed in the way you're obedient to those whispers of God in your life and in your heart. And so I'm believing that God is gonna stir something inside of you to take a step, to, to step out, to maybe do what he's been calling you to do for a long, long time. Now, for those of you in this room that you would say, hey, you know what? I feel extremely far from God. I've, I've run from this. Here's what you need to know. This is why you're here. Because God wants to make a difference in your life. He wants to make a difference through your life. God wants to call you a child of his. And the way we do that is through prayers, through confessing our sins. It's through believing that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he wants to save you, 
that he wants to uh, give you a, a purpose to live for, that he's created you on purpose with a purpose. And this might be exactly why you're here today. This could be the moment that God's brought you to, to trust in Jesus, to understand that, that he loves you and you're not forsaken, you're not forgotten, that he wants to have a relationship with you. And I'll invite you to, to enter into that through prayer. You could just say something like this. You could keep it simple. But if that's why you're here, you say, Colby, I need to make this decision. I wanna be a difference maker. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna surrender. I want forgiveness of my sin and trust in the salvation of Christ. If that's you today, would you just raise up your hand and just hold it up high? Say, this is why I'm here. Awesome, awesome. Just, just, just keep it up. Keep it up in, by saying, I surrender. I'm gonna make a difference for God. I want God to make a difference first in my life and in my heart by forgiving me, by setting me free. Awesome, you can put them down, say something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I believe that your death on the cross paid for the, the things that destroy me, which is my sin. And so from this moment on, I confess you as Lord. And I'm allowing the blood of Jesus to cover me to set me free, to wash me clean, to give me a new life in Christ. In your name I pray, amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.